everyone. Today's guest on Fashion for All, the Smart Gleamer podcast, is Bear Spiegel. Bear falls under the model category of types of guests we'll be chatting with on the podcast. This is one of our longer episodes, but we just had so much great stuff to chat about, so I hope you enjoy. I also want to note a content warning that we do lightly mention eating disorders in this episode, but not in any great detail. I'll let Bear introduce themselves properly. Enjoy our conversation. Hi, Bear. Thanks for joining me. Uh, hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm Bear Spiegel. I use they, them, theirs pronouns, uh, though I prefer people just use my name when referring to me. Uh, I'm an actor, a drag performer, uh, a model sometimes. Uh, yeah. Great. And so you already said you're a model sometimes, yeah. but one of the things I like to ask is, um, do you consider yourself a model? Why or why not? So maybe uh, why did you feel the need to give the sometimes label? <laughs> um, I guess because it's not what I do primarily. It's not like what I'm known for. It's not what I get booked for. Um, like outside of modeling for you and Smart Glamour, I think I've done a show at FIT and then that's it. Uh so calling my mo- calling myself a model sometimes doesn't feel like uh, an accurate advertisement, but you know mm-hmm. it's not that I don't do it. It's just that I don't do it as much as I do the other aspects of performing. But I guess over the past couple of years, I've gravitated more towards just calling myself a performer, and to me, modeling falls under that. Um, mm-hmm. So. I guess I maybe didn't need the sometimes, but <laughs> I feel like the word model is such like a loaded word that like taking that on for yourself, it, it, it can sometimes bring up a little bit of like imposter syndrome, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely something that we've touched on with a few different um, folks uh, who model for me. Um, and Obviously, I know what you look like, but for folks who haven't seen a photo of you yet, could you describe your appearance? Sure. Um, I am short. I'm about five foot two. I'm thin. I'm generally in sizing. I'm I'm I fit very comfortably in most things that are small. Um, I am non-binary, um, so I sometimes choose to bind my chest, but sometimes I don't. It just all depends on my comfortability and how I want the outfit to look. Honestly. Um, mm. I got I got some tattoos. I got a little scar on my nose. Um, I usually don't have eyebrows, <laughs> but yeah, that that that's 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 what I look like these days. Is your hair my still hair blue? is still a blue, uh, fluffy down the middle, uh, muppety fashion? Um, I've gravitated <laughs> more towards just calling it a, a. It's just muppet hair at this point. Uh, my, my dream is to be a Muppet one day, so, like, I might as well embrace it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, doing other kinds of performance and doing drag. Um, how long have you been doing that, that type of performance? Uh, I've been doing drag for three years now. Yeah, it would have been three mm. years in May. Um, and then I've been doing different levels of, acting and performing since I was like nine or 10 years old. Um, but I started taking it more seriously when I was like 14, 15. Um, mm. 
but yeah, so I've been, I've been performing. I've enjoyed having attention be on me since I was very young. Um, <laughs> but the, the type of performance I've done has definitely shifted and changed throughout the years. Um, and I, I think that's really exciting um, to see that my performance style changes as we see the idea of performance changing as well. Mm, that's interesting. Could and what exactly do you mean? Like, what were the the changes? Um, I feel like the theater world is slowly starting to put less emphasis on Broadway, um, especially among the 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 Black Lives Matter movement. Most recently, a lot of ideas of structures of power have come into question, and the theater community has been questioning a lot this idea of hierarchy, the hierarchy of Broadway, the hierarchy of film versus live performance, the hierarchy of directors and producers versus actors and versus stage crew. Um, and it's been a really fascinating conversation to to see unfold and to be a part of um, because something that's been bothering me a lot lately is the way that actors are, are treated in the theater world because I think people assume that actors have a lot more control over a production than they actually do. An actor's mm. main job is to show up, learn the lines and the blocking and just, and you do what you're told. And honestly, that's one of the parts I like about being an actor. I'm not, I personally don't create much out of nothing, but if someone gives me mm. a structure, I love to play with a structure and find myself within that structure. So I love a script. I love blocking. I love working with a director. But unfortunately, a lot of the times you're not, you don't get to work with the director. You do exactly what you're told. And I've been noticing this a lot in the audition process because in these times of COVID, live auditioning isn't happening. So they've all been video um, submissions. And specifically the submissions I've been setting in for commercials, they are expecting actors to do anywhere from five to 12 actions, film it, edit it together, make sure the sound and the lighting is right, and then send it in within a day. Mm -hmm. I was I was sent a project for my agent, like, on like a Tuesday morning, and it was due that Wednesday by five. And they, it was, this mm -hmm. one was like a list of 12 actions that they wanted shot and edited. And all over it, it was like, submit ASAP, if you want to be considered, submit ASAP. And I'm like, you are asking me to do things that are not acting, that are not, that is not an audition. A regular commercial audition, you would ask me to do maybe three to four of the things on that list. And all I would do is perform them. I wouldn't be in charge of filming it, of editing it, of, you know, like, they're just really expecting so much from people that they know aren't making money right now. Like if people are submitting for acting jobs, they probably aren't making very much money. Um, so I've just been getting really frustrated at, this is just yet another example of the hierarchy within theater um, and how actors and stage crew and usually the more, usually the more work you're doing in theater, the less respect you're given. Not to say that like directors mm. and producers don't do work, but it's less manual most of the time. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I've, I've done a lot of projects with shows that don't pay me at all or that pay me very little purely because I believe in the theater company and what they're doing or in the show that they're producing. So I'm excited to see theater continue to grow and morph and hopefully 
start move away from a hierarchy system and more towards an equalized system of performers and creatives and creators and just make it more balanced and, you know, a main issue that people are talking about is that a, a ridiculous amount of shows that are on Broadway are written by cis, heterosexual, white men. There are very mm-hmm. few other stories being told on Broadway and beyond Broadway. And I've been saying for a long time that I'm really sick of stories about mediocre white men, especially the mediocre white men whose lives are changed because of women or queer people in their lives, but they get to continue to be straight white men. Like the fact that we were about to have Tootsie and Mrs. Doubtfire on Broadway at the same time right before COVID happened is just absurd to me in the year 2020, that we have two shows where the butt of the joke is a man wearing a dress and the man finds out about himself by wearing a dress but faces no repercussions of being a woman, of being a transgender woman. It's just like, I'm so sick of it. Even Kinky Boots is is about a mediocre white man whose life is changed by queer people and drag queens, but he's still a white man. Like, it's still a mm-hmm. straight white man. I'm just so sick of the same story being told. And so, like, I really hope that when theater comes back, when it's safe, that we actually see these changes being implemented and we don't go back to the same tired stories that we've been telling for who knows how long. Yeah, that's a wonderful point. Um, I've definitely thought that every time I see somebody talking about specifically Tootsie and like um, applauding it, it's so confusing to me. Yeah. But I, I have to admit, I have I've seen Kinking Boots and I and I didn't think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that it really is about. I mean, obviously the white guy is the center, aside from Lola, but he's the one that like goes through a whole, you know, a little journey. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, you know, and Lola is there to help that journey happen. Um, yeah, I I think that's a great point, and I and I agree that I hope that 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 uh that changes when when theater is able to come back. So, um, I a few things came up uh in my head while you were. Sorry, I just had a talking. whole lot without really no, taking a break. That's great. Um, no, I, I wrote little notes great. for myself first, being that um, what you were saying about auditioning and having to do so much stuff that that is happening. To, I'm seeing that happen in my own house with with that's Ian awesome. as well. Right. Um, which for people who don't know, that's my husband. He's an actor. He also does voiceover stuff. So yeah, he's he's having a lot of um, of those things happen where the turnaround time. I mean, the turnaround time was always right, pretty fast, course, but, but I've it, right. It, but I feel like now it's it's even faster and it's more things exactly. that you have to do. Yeah. And we're lucky that I happen to have painted our living room a nice bright blue. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so like whenever he has to film something, we're like, oh, great. We already have nice this blue wall. Yeah. Which is exactly like what everyone wants. Sure. But, you know, people have to create entire self-tape setups for themselves to do this right, thing we, these things and i we have to rearrange our whole apartment so that i'm standing so that the filming is enough space that we don't have like furniture or like cardboard boxes mm-hmm. all over the place because you know we're three people living in a brooklyn apartment like we don't have a lot of blank wall space and so like mm-hmm. every time we do it we have to like rearrange a different part of the house depending on where the light is and it's just mm-hmm. like I'm putting in so much work and not booking anything. And 
I know that the main reason I'm not booking most of the stuff my agent sends me is because I'm just so very queer looking and I have tattoos close to my hand and people mm. really don't want tattoos on or near your hands. And like, I knew that was going to happen when I got them, but like, it's wild how many of these self tapes ask you to show a close up of your hands front and back. And I know that they do that specifically to make sure you don't have tattoos exactly where I have them. Um, mm. But like there is, there is this one commercial that I was sent it on and, and the description, first of all, my agent keeps sending me on roles for women. And I just had an email <sighs> that was like, Hey, again, if the casting is gendered, which for commercials, a lot of times it is just like college girl and college boy. And those are the roles. And I was like, well, if the casting is going to be gendered, I would prefer you submit me for men and boys because like I'm really I don't want to be seen as a woman and I'm sure it's not helping me um but there was a description mm-hmm. that was given to me that I was like she's the designer and she has cool colored hair and maybe she has tattoos but not too many and I was like what does that mean and I just felt like her whole description was like she looks kind of queer but not that queer and, like, I'm not interested yeah. in changing the way that I look for anyone. Like, I know what product I'm selling, and I know it's more niche. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just been really frustrating to, like, spend hours filming and editing commercials that I'm pretty sure I'm not going to book. But I would be so mad at myself if I didn't submit. Because there's always, like, the what if I get this, and it pays me a lot of money, you know? Yeah, this is um kind of a tangential conversation to one that I had with Gwen um, when I recorded with her um, just about theater and acting that entire industry in general and um, struggling to decide, like, do I try to succeed and fit within the structure or do I, you know, leave it entirely and try to create a new structure, which I mean, like, I don't really think there's necessarily a correct quote unquote answer. And I was giving the example of like me and the fashion industry and that I was not, I tried and I was not able to um, feel okay living within the fashion industry structure. So I left and created my own that I'm not saying that that's what people need to do or that people need to do the other. I think that for each individual person, you have to do what, feels correct and what you're also able to do i mean you know everyone has different circumstances monetarily how you know their living situation like there's tons of different reasons that people make the choices that they do so um but i do think it is important to note that like i think i think all the things need to happen at once you know like i think there needs to be the people within the structures trying to make changes that can maybe help now um, and, and and help the people, the other people who are already in those structures, um, while at the same time, I think new structures need to be built. And that's like, you know, in every industry, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, but another thing that you brought up that I made a note of is how you said that you enjoy the portion of being an actor where... Um, you know, people give you things and then you work from there. And I, spe- I specifically wrote down that you said, like, you don't often create something out of nothing, which made me think about you doing drag. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, that to me feels a little bit like creating something out of nothing, no? See, I disagree because with both okay. acting and drag, 
you know, I do drag in the 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 typical sense of I, I lip sync. Sometimes I just do regular songs. Sometimes I create a mix. Um, but I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. lip syncer most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not. I'm picking what songs I want to do, but like I'm not writing the songs. I'm not writing the music. Mm-hmm. Like it's still creative, but it's creating within a boundary. Um, and mm. I think that's why I feel safe. And I definitely think drag is much more creative expression than when I'm acting. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I love it so much is it feels less like I'm playing a character and more like I'm just performing as an exaggerated version of myself. Um, mm, and I get mm-hmm. the drag is very cathartic for me. I've worked out a lot of emotional and social issues through drag um, and sometimes mm-hmm. I just have drag numbers that are very silly because I want to have fun. Um, but drag is for me. It's not for money. It's not for the audience. My drag is primarily and will always be for whatever I need it to be. Whereas acting, mm-hmm. I, I love to do it, obviously, but that's more for like, I'll take roles that I'm maybe not excited about because they're going to pay me. And like acting is right. much more like paying the bills and like, I will give up more of my creative control if you are going to give me this money. Um, mm. You know, there are certain things I won't give up even still for acting, but a lot of the times, like there's a lot of things I will do if you are going to give me any amount of money. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Absolutely. Um, fair. I've, I've read some really horrible trans character scripts purely because if I broke them, <sighs> they would have paid me like a lot of money. And I was like, whatever. Um, but, um, I think that's what I enjoy about both acting and drag is that it it allows me an amount of creativity, but it doesn't give me the pressure of coming up with something, you know, like I've just never, that's not where my creativity lives. My creativity lives Mm -hmm. in bringing other people's words to life and interpreting it through my own, uh, life experiences. Um, which is really what I think acting is, is it's taking someone else's script, figuring out how you relate to that script and then bringing that to life. Um, yeah, that's great. That makes sense yeah. to me. And I sure. feel like that's what I do with drag, but it's kind of the opposite way is I find other people's words to fit how I'm feeling and then make a story mm. through, through that. Mm, okay. That's, that's a very cool way to look at yeah, it. That I makes just sense came up with that, but I like it. <laughs> It did. Um so I I had also had a chat. I feel like so many of these chats like are running tangential course, yeah. against each other. Of course. <laughs> but I um talked to Natwa, who also um does dragon is a nine binary person, and um I uh, was bringing up from from just like a viewer point of view because I'm a fan of drag and I watch drag and I love drag. Um, and we talked a little bit about like gender and drag because I feel that, as I'm sure that you know, so many people um, just put these like very tight restrictions around gender when it comes to drag, which seems so antithetical to me because the point of drag is that in my, you know, understanding and and thought process is, is, you know, you're doing a performance of gender and you're heightening it in some way and you're messing around with it. So like the idea that you're going to put a tight box around 
doing that action like does not make sense to me (laughs) and i'm just wondering because we've also i know that you and i have chatted about it and um you know everyone's so obsessed around you know like queen or king or whatever and you've used the word queen right i um i i i use it in I, I, I personally have, like, a queen persona and a king persona, so I think myself uh-huh. generally I'm a queen, but, like, I do I do delineate the two, but, like, I do have performer friends that have just one character that is androgynous and they consider themselves a uh, queen. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, so when you... Hmm. How many phrase this question? So, so you have acts that are specifically drag queen acts, and then acts that are specifically drag king acts. Um, do you go by the same drag name for both? Or yeah. I, um, I okay. played when I first developed, sort of developing my king persona because I started off as a queen for the first, um, the first year that I was performing before I had the idea mm-hmm. to start playing with uh, king stuff. And so I started off going by two different names, but it's really hard to market yourself when you're going by a lot of different names. So when I mm. changed my name, uh, this I think it was like after oh two years of doing drag, I changed my name to Bad News Bear. Um, and then I just use that for both because it's gender neutral. It fits both personas. And like the personas themselves aren't really that different. And my queen is a very androgynous queen, and my king is a very androgynous king. Um, mm-hmm. So, like in my head, like my queen persona is just like a punk rock clown dyke who, you know, <laughs> fucks it up. And then my king is even more clown based, um, but is definitely like, uh, a twink he is he is definitely a gay a gay man um and i think the reason i have them so separate even though uh, to the out to the i realize that like most outsiders don't really notice when i'm doing one or the other but they're important to mm. me because as a non-binary person i don't like in my day-to-day i don't think of myself as being one or the other like the whole reason mm. why non-binary is the word I use to describe myself is because I feel so outside of gender. Like, I don't feel like I'm Mm -hmm. on the spectrum. I don't think about gender when I'm getting dressed. Like I'm thinking about how do I want to look? I only think about gender in terms of how other people see me. Um, Mm. But like, I don't, I don't, in my day to day life, if I'm not in drag, I'm not trying to be like, am I mask? Am I femme? Like I, I'm whatever it's whatever that day is, whatever feels comfortable in my body. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think it's fun for me to play with the extremes when I'm in drag because it's something I don't do in my day-to-day life. So be, so to be able to go hyper feminine and how, see how I play with that and then to go hyper masculine and see how I interpret that has been really, has been a really great way to explore gender in a way that I don't have to do it in my day-to-day life, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. It does make sense. Um, and I think that's an awesome thing to be able to do. I mean, I think that that's, you know, awesome in general when when any person just does drag, that it's like a fun way to explore gender. Um, so bringing it kind of back around towards more towards the beginning of the chat. Um, 
and mentioning obviously that you modeled for me. So you started modeling for me um, at, during the in your size campaign, right? Yes. Yeah, so that was 2016. Um, and pre doing that, what was your relationship to fashion? Um, when I was young, like from when I was like 10 to 13, 14, I thought I wanted to be a fashion designer. I oh. I loved Project Runway and like as when I was that was around the time that I kind of stopped being a tomboy because like from the time that I was a infant till around my tween ages I only wore quote-unquote boys clothes clothes from what was labeled the boys section Um, and I'm very Mm -hmm. thankful that I had parents that like weren't thrilled about it but they like didn't really care they were like we just want our kid to be happy if they want to wear boys clothes like it really doesn't matter clothes are clothes like they're gonna get them covered Mm -hmm. in mud anyway like what does it matter um, so I was a, like a strictly a tomboy until I was about a tween. And then I started watching like what not to wear and project runway. And I was like, Whoa, clothes are really cool and fun. And I could be having so much more fun with clothes if I wore like dresses and skirts and stuff. So I started like expanding my horizons and I like started getting sketchbooks and drawing. Um, I was honestly never very good at drawing. Um, mm-hmm. And again, like, I look back at my my sketchbooks now and I'm like, these are so, everything is so wildly unoriginal. Um, Mm. But like, I was having fun and I was into it. And then again, around 14, I found a really amazing theater company where I grew up. And that kind of shone a light on like, if you want to make performing a career, it's going to be really, really hard. But like, it's a possibility if you want to do it. And I was like, oh, cool. So then my pivot, my focus kind of pivoted. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm try- I like, I, I feel like after that, I wasn't really paying attention to fashion, but like I dressed really outrageously when I was a teenager. Like I'm talking, I had several different colored tutus. There was a period of time where I had different cat ears for every day of the week. Um, as yeah. much as California weather would allow, I would layer as much as I could on top of itself um I started when I started playing with makeup I've I've always used makeup more as a way to accessorize rather than a way to like look conventionally pretty I've always been like putting Mm -hmm. as many colors as possible on my face as a way to like accentuate what I'm wearing I would bring stuffed animals as accessories like I I was known in high school for just like wearing ridiculous things um there was one of my like proudest moments was there was one day in high school I was wearing like a big old dress, a lot of makeup and like big high heels for whatever reason. And as I was walking mm-hmm. in the class, I heard a girl say to another girl, is that boy wearing heels? And like at the time I was not trans, but like for some reason that made me feel so good. And I was like, ha ha. Yeah. And now I'm like, yep, <laughs> there that's that you're a drag queen bear. Like that's, you got it. Um, yeah, and so then I feel like I I found, like, my own interpretation of fashion, but I was not paying attention at all to what the rest of the world was considering fashion. I just, like, really <laughs> didn't care, and I was happy dressing up every day like it was costume day. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember, like, if I've ever had any relationship to, like, fashion or modeling before I connected with you. 
I feel like I, I came out as non-binary when I was 19. So I think that was the fall of mm-hmm. 2015. Um, mm. And I started, you know, finding more non-binary people and celebrities. And one of the people I actually found first was Rain Dove, who was a non-binary model. Um, mm-hmm. And they are wildly conventionally attractive and are like really tall. Um, but like they one of like the first representations I saw of a non-binary person um, outside mm-hmm. of like people that I knew. And so like that really excited me. So I think when I saw you posting for models that were outside the norm, that was kind of where my brain went first. And I was like, ooh, like if Rain Dove can do that, then like other trans people can absolutely do it. Um, oh. So like the dots that I'm connecting off the top of my mm-hmm. head right now. Um, and then, you know, once I met you, I started thinking way more about fashion and modeling because you got a lot of amazing thoughts on it. And it really opened <laughs> my mind to what ethical fashion and fashion for all actually means. Um, and I'm honestly really thankful for it because I feel like that is also how I found my way into like the body positivity and fat positivity movement. And mm. last summer I, I was actually diagnosed with an eating disorder. And I feel like having the knowledge that I have from smart glamour actually helped me a lot when we were like in program learning about like diet culture and what media tells you. And I was like, yeah, I know all of this. Like, like mm. I was like, it, like, I didn't know all of it, but it was like, I felt like I already had a little bit of knowledge of why diet culture and like, cause diet culture was never my personal issue. Um, but like, I feel like I had never seen it talked about until I was brought into the smart glamour community. And I'm just really thankful mm-hmm. that I had knowledge of it before I was put into like a really severe specific program that focused on it so much. I felt like I already had a little bit of like an upper hand of like, yeah, I know that this is like nonsense marketing and it's all about money. Um, but it right. really is so prevalent and it's just like diet and fashion have such an influence on people's eating habits and I feel like we really mm. don't talk about it yeah I think that um be I mean the main uh portion I think that makes them so intertwined is that a lot of people use fashion um not necessarily to express themselves but to conform themselves into what they think their bodies should look like which is also the majority reason that most people diet is because they want to make their bodies smaller and you know as you mentioned it's just so pervasive that like a lot of the time even if you know rationally you know, I I know that I have been, you know, raised in a society that tells me all these things and that's why I feel this way. That doesn't mean you can just immediately go like, okay, I don't care anymore because I know that. Right. Well, I, <laughs> and then never think about it again. Like it's, you know, it takes work. Uh, being, I, I did an outpatient program for a few months last fall and being in that program really opened my eyes into just like how, it, it was just an even another layer of how evil capitalism is. Because I noticed that one of the reasons I didn't know that I had an eating disorder until a therapist said it out loud was because among a lot of people my age and even not my age, but especially in the drag scene, every day 
we were talking about how little sleep we got, how little eat, eating we did. And it felt like a competition to see like you, who was working hardest and the you knew who was working the hardest by who was taking the least amount of care of themselves. And like, oh. I don't think anyone was like purposely trying to manipulate anyone, but I think we were all buying into this idea of productivity is the most important. And especially among the other trans and not cis male drag performers, we have this pressure to be twice as good as cis male performers. And I feel mm-hmm. like especially leading up to shows, me and my friends would just like give up everything to make sure that whatever number we were doing was perfect. And I just, I remember every day I would see people, we would just like talk about what we didn't eat, how much we didn't sleep. And it was just like, as soon as it was brought to my attention, it was everywhere. And I was like, but it's not Mm -hmm. like you can then walk up to your friends and be like, hey, we all have disordered eating problems. Like you can't can't (laughs) do that at a show. It really changes the mood. Um, (laughs) So like, I've just been like slowly talking about it to the people I was close to, but like it really, this idea of productivity over your well-being is so invasive that like I didn't even realize I was doing it for years and like I my parents didn't instill this in me like no one I personally know did this to me I really think it was the pressure of capitalism of being a performer of being a trans performer trying to get a, a crumb of what cis people are getting Uh, it just like puts so much pressure on you and when everyone else is doing it of course you don't realize that it's disordered like you would have no Mm -hmm. idea if everyone is doing it and it just kind of Mm -hmm. popped my bubble that I was like huh maybe this 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 drag community has even more issues than I thought it did and it's just like again it's something that like I can't I can't take on but it's something I've been like slowly trying to like talk to other performers about and be like, Hey, this isn't great. How do we fix this? How do we make this healthier for everybody? Because like, no one should be giving up their well being for any line of work or any hobby. Like, even if it's like, again, I'm not making money doing drag. The fact that I was bending over backwards and not feeding myself properly to do a number for an audience of five people, like, yeah, it's, art is important but like it it just like priorities get so screwed up when productivity is is ingrained into you by your country absolutely um productivity is something that i just chatted with uh, michaela about actually as well um but what i did want to want to mention from what you just said is i see a tan um like a line to um when you're talking about how like you would all kind of group together and talk about these things and about like oh i you know i didn't sleep at all or i didn't eat this 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 it sounds very similar to me to um how women and femmes tend to like group together and talk poorly about themselves it's like it's like people find community through self-hatred right which is so unfortunate um and one of the one of the main things that kind of directly led me to starting smart glamour because i was like this cannot be what we get together and create community around like i refuse to participate in community that's based on here's what we need to fix about ourselves absolutely no. yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely not <laughs> um 
But I did also make a note earlier from from something you said to like lighten the mood a little bit, talk about something a little bit more fun is that you mentioned your makeup, which is something that's so cool to me. Um, As I've said on a few other episodes with people, uh, smart glamour models are allowed to present themselves however they want. And that includes doing their makeup. They can wear zero makeup. They can wear, you know, full face beat of makeup. They can wear um, interesting makeup. They can wear no makeup and a lip. They truly do whatever they want. And you are one person who does more, I guess you would call it like avant-garde makeup. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about like where you get your makeup inspiration from and why you do the certain kinds of things you do with makeup. Yeah. Um, again, I've always, as soon as I started having access to makeup, I've always enjoyed playing with it. I think a lot of that comes from my theater background of I, the first time I ever really needed makeup was for shows was doing that. Um, and I became really close to our first costume designer at the theater company, or I guess the costume designer who was there when I was at the theater company. Um, and she taught me a lot about costuming and makeup and just like encouraged me to be as weird as I wanted to be and would like Hmm. sometimes give me things from the costume rack that she really shouldn't have. Um, (laughs) But like she let me be her apprentice when we did uh, Jungle Book. Uh, So I helped do makeup for that. And then I saw they were using these face crayons. And so the cast gave me uh, a box of face crayons as a thank you. And I started playing around with those. And that's where I started putting like white around my eyes and noticing that that changes the shape in a really unearthly way. Um, Mm. So I think I don't, I didn't really get inspiration from specific people or images. It was more so whatever products I had, I would just play with them and see what I could do with them. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's certainly evolved over the years. Uh, I'm sure you remember there was a year or so where I was just putting like a stripe of eyeshadow across my eyes. Um, And that just came out of laziness. And I just wanted (laughs) to look interesting without putting in much effort. So I picked one color, swiped it across and everyone like loved it. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. like it's the easiest makeup I could have possibly done, but people really liked it. And I liked it. So I just did it for a while. Cause like, it worked. And again, it was so easy. It was, I would maybe put a little bit of primer down, pick up one color on my finger, get it across so that you could see it. And it was done. Um, I started putting mm. the, the, the lipstick X on my face um, when Trump was elected. Um, oh. It was around the time that people were talking about wearing safety pins on your clothes to show that like you were a safe person but then people were like co-opting the safety pin. It became a whole messy thing. And I was like, screw yeah. that. Like if I want someone to know I'm a safe person, I want them to know. So it was partially that. And then the other part was like, before Trump can put a yellow star on me, I'm going to put it on myself. So I just started putting on an X on my face for, for both purposes. Um, and I've pretty much, I usually have it on if I'm in, day makeup I don't do it in my drag because again I like to have a little bit of distinction between the two but in my regular makeup Mm -hmm. I usually always have it if I'm wearing lipstick and I'll probably keep doing it while he's still in office um Mm -hmm. but that's where that one came from and most of it really just just come from playing from seeing other people on Instagram my my drag makeup has 
Like I, I have finally found a place that I'm happy with my drag makeup and they've both definitely become more influenced by clown uh, in different mm-hmm. ways, but they've both become much more clown because I've realized I have no interest in trying to pretend to look human. So I might as well just like look, I, I, I prefer to look like I'm wearing a lot of makeup rather than the idea of like wear makeup. So it looks like you don't. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I, my, my drag has stayed fairly consistent for around a year or so, I would say, but it's always going to change. And my makeup always changes. Um, the past few times that I've done makeup for, for smart glamour stuff, I always start out saying like, I'm not going to go over the top. I don't want to draw focus. And then I finish and I'm like, Oh nope, never mind. Like, for, for the round table, I was like, I, I was like, this is going to be on screen. It is not about you. Like, don't be weird. And then I got really excited with what I was doing. And then it was time to film. And I was like, oh, bear. Like, <laughs> and I was really happy with it. So I wasn't going to take it off. But like, I did feel a little bad. I was like, I really hope I'm not distracting people. Because um, I never want, you know, no, like, I-, I never want to distract. I never want to make it about me. But like, it really does become part of, to me, it feels like an extension of the outfit. Like that's where my makeup has always started. Um, mm-hmm. Like I was so excited when that lipstick matched the uh, skirt that you made for me in the last runway show I did for you. Like was, my mm-hmm. makeup is usually, it starts off with what I'm wearing and then seeing how to, how I can compliment or maybe sometimes go the opposite way, but it's always, it always starts with what I'm wearing and then, builds from there i mean i'm just gonna go ahead and say now that that whenever i cast you to do anything unless i've specifically given given you a note or suggestion which i have done before like when you did you wore the bralette and pajamas and i was like maybe make wear some makeup that makes sense with wearing loungewear (laughs) but but i like the eye makeup way toned down yeah Uh uh-huh which is fine and like but in general just know that like i know what you look like and i'm casting you for you so if, so like if i'm there's never going to be a time where you're going to show up and i'm going to be like you know what bear i think you just really have too much makeup on your face that's not gonna Thank happen you. i mean i will never be offended if you do say that because again like <laughs> it's not about me like and i know that and that's never like i always worry that that's what people think i'm doing and it's like mm. like my it's been happening for at least a decade now, but I still, every time I go out with my parents, people, they always comment and they're like, people are staring at you. And I'm like, yeah, people are going to stare at me. I know what I look like. I just don't pay attention to them. Like, I'm not stupid. I know that I have big blue hair and that I wear silly makeup and outfits sometimes. Like, I know I'm going to get looked at. It's just been happening for so long that like, I don't care. And again, I'm not doing it to be looked at. It's just a consequence of looking how I want to look for myself. But like, I go out of my house knowing that people are going to look at me. Like, I'm not, I feel like people look at me as if I don't know what I look like. And I'm like, no, I got a few mirrors in my house. Like, I know what I look like. I know it's weird or silly to other people, but I love being silly. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's one of the main reasons I became an actor was because everyone else was like so afraid to look stupid or ugly or silly on stage. And I was like, that's why I'm here is to be silly and ugly. Like, that's the most fun. Oh, mm-hmm. that was so weird to me when I was a kid it was like all my friends were like so scared to make choices in auditions and callbacks 
And I was like, but that's how you make an impression. And like, the one time I got a fairly large role at my theater company was because I was the only person that did a weird voice for a character because that character was supposed to have a weird voice, but all the girls were so worried about looking pretty. And I was like, I was mm. never worried about looking pretty. Like that was pretty and lady were never a concern for me. So <laughs> I just was like, we're on stage to like be characters. And sometimes that means being a little goofy and like, why... Why would that stop you? And it's still my favorite thing to do is to be silly on stage. For sure. Um, so one quick thing before I get to the the last question. And the quick thing is that in my uh, first episode of the podcast with Patricia, um, we were discussing gender and fashion towards the end. And I referenced a quote that you say often, but I'm sure I didn't say it perfectly correct. So I would love for you to say your little quote thing sentence yeah. thought pattern about clothes being cute things with holes yeah, in them. Do you know what I'm talking about? about when you mentioned I think I just said this like to my parents the other day when I was talking about gender reveal <laughs> fires. Um oh, you know, my parents still live in California so I was like nice. Um but yeah the thing that I've been saying like for years that was prompted by you at one point was like clothing is just cloth with holes cut out in different ways like if I'm I'm putting on clothing because it's cute and I'm cute so like I'm not putting on clothes because it's supposedly for a man or for a woman I'm putting it on because it looks cute on the rack and if it looks cute on me then I'm wearing it (laughs) pieces of fabric with holes in it like why yeah and as I was telling my mom the other day like the idea of what is for boys and what is for girls changes like every hundred of years anyway. So like, why does it matter? Pink used to be like the most masculine color ever. High heels were originally mm-hmm. made for men. You know, like why, why are we still trying to pretend that any of these things have gender when we know it's going to change in another hundred years or so, you know, like yep. all of it is, it's yep. all constructed. So why not have fun with it? Like the rules are already there. I recognize that they're not going anywhere. So why not bend them and stretch them and see how far you can take them? Yes, absolutely. Um, So to close with our little final question here, um, I know that there are many, many things. (laughs) I'll preface it with that. But what are one or two main things that you would like to see change um, in maybe we'll do one and I know you've already kind of went into like the hierarchy Aww. part of the, th- of theater world. So maybe something else with what you'd like to see change in theater and acting world and something you'd like to see change in the fashion world. I mean, there's something I'd like to see change in both. And I mean, I guess something I'd okay. like to see change in like media and consumption in general, and that's representation, representation, both behind the scenes and on the scenes. Um, I want to see more, actors and models and general performers that are not cisgender, that are not white, that are not thin, that are not straight sized, that have disabilities, you know, like I'm so sick of only seeing the same kinds of thin white people with with very small variations. Like it's time that what we see and what we consume actually represents the people we live around like in america Mm -hmm. white people are no longer the majority i'm pretty sure we're about 
50-50 at this point, if that. So like, why mm-hmm. is everything I'm watching and reading and consuming written by and being performed by mostly white people? Like, it makes no sense. That's not what I see when I walk around. Um, mm-hmm. So like, I want to see more stories written and produced by by not white people, by not straight people, by not cis people. Like it just, there needs to be, I, I want there to be like a halt on all stories and creations by cis het white men for like five to 10 years. They aren't allowed to create anything. And we let everyone else who's been creating stuff forever finally have the spotlight. Because the people who create this stuff already exist. They're just not being given the money and the platform to be seen at the same level white people are. Like, there's a gazillion mm-hmm. plays that are just as good as any show on Broadway that are written by trans black people, but that will never see a Broadway stage because they're not being given that opportunity. Um, Absolutely. And, and the same could be said in fashion. Fashion is is run still mostly... And it's one, fashion is one of the things that really confuses me. It's like fashion and cooking where people are like, oh, that's women's work, but it's still run by men. Oh, like, yes. It's so wild to me. Like, mm-hmm. It's not surprising, but it just like it's baffling that they can't see their own dense irony. Um, but yeah. like for people that don't know, fashion is still mostly run by white men. Maybe they're not all straight, uh-huh. but they're still mostly white men. Uh, and like, I think I said this in the queer roundtable, but like gay white men, especially wealthy gay white men are kind of like the straight white men of the queer community at this point. They have the most mm-hmm. visibility, the most opportunities, the most uh, conformity. Um, and unfortunately, they do not turn around and then help those in the community that need need those resources. Um, so I, I blame all white men, regardless of their sexuality, honestly. Uh, if you're a cis white guy, you're probably part of the problem and you can find ways to fix it. Sorry, got lost there a little bit. <laughs> no, um, that's okay. I yeah, mean, it's true. I think that a lot of people don't realize that the, like, who actually owns the company at the top, you know? Like, even in, in when I worked in corporate fashion, I worked in a, a fashion house that made clothes for, you know, JCPenney, mm-hmm. Ross, mm-hmm. Burlington, blah, blah, blah. And the person that owned our company was a white right. man. So, like, the people that are in charge of the designing process of mostly majority women's clothing, quote, unquote, women's clothing, right. are right. men. 100%. Right. And people, like, people didn't realize or still don't realize that the majority of people who own the Broadway theaters are really, really wealthy white men or white heterosexual couples that donate so much money that's made by these theaters to like conservative organizations and politicians. So the money that's being made by performers getting paid maybe minimum wage and who come from all walks of life are funding people who already have way too much money to go against. It's just, it's a whole mess. And people don't realize that who they're giving their money to. Like, yeah, we all know Chick-fil-A is homophobic, but it's actually most everything, most everyone you give your money to is a problem unless you're shopping small. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. like we can say there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but that's also really hard. Like, it's really hard mm-hmm. to ask people I, I was. I think I can't remember who I was talking to about this. I know. I think you brought this up recently about like environmentalism in fashion. Of like, it's a privilege mm-hmm. to make 
environmentally friendly clothes and to be able to afford environmentally friendly clothes. Like we don't talk about how environmentalism in general is a privilege. The whole straw issue was overlooking so many ideas of privilege, like the plastic bag ban overlooks privilege. Like, yes, they all need to happen and they make sense, but you have to provide alternatives to those that can't afford the alternatives. Like it'd be great if everyone could live zero waste, but not everyone can afford to bring glass jars everywhere to buy wholesale, you know? Like, yeah, we the idea that the envi- sorry, I went on another tangent again, but the last thing I'll say on this, the idea that the environment is can be fixed by consumer problems is is ridiculous. It's big business is to blame. They are the only ones that can make large enough change for the environment to start getting back to normal consumers cannot make a big enough change us not using plastic straws isn't going to do anything it's big business that has caused the problem and so it's on them to start to fix it but them turning around and blaming consumers for their problems is just another result of capitalism yes i agree i mean i think that in general if we want to see anything solved yes the the people in, in the big business and corporations are the folks who need to do it i will also say that like it on an individual level if you want to make a small difference and specifically make a difference to the people that you would shop with mm-hmm. instead um on that level it does make it it does make that Absolutely. kind of a difference yeah. and i did want to mention that um what you were referring to of me talking about environmental uh, environmentalism um, being uh, inaccessible. I was specifically referring to um, how expensive "quote unquote" organic right, uh, right. Cl- fabrics are, because there's a lot of folks in the sustainability space, which is very white and very oh, inaccessible, um, <laughs> who basically will look at a brand and go oh this isn't sustainable because not every piece of fabric they use is recycled not every piece of fabric they use is organic which it just the second you use organic jersey instead of regular jersey your fabric cost is tripling and so therefore your end result price has to triple which yes should those products exist for the people that can afford them of course but that's not the only solution and there should be solutions for people who cannot afford those things so thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, I kind of I know that I, of course I condensed it, but uh, I was I was mm-hmm. I was fascinated when you posted that because I had never really thought about that. But it, it, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. you know everything is related to gender and class and race and like you can't talk about one thing without talking about the other and like accessibility has to be has to hit all of those points, not just like because you know all these like inclusive fashion brands that are you know gender neutral whatever that means and then they only go up to like a 2x and it costs a gazillion dollars if you're like, if you're lucky right. they go to a 2x and like, inclusive <laughs> for who like all these queer fashion brands are like i would maybe want to like possibly consider supporting but their clothing costs so much and i'm like what queer people are buying your clothes like mm-hmm. accessibility doesn't just mean one or two different things it means all the different label levels of intersectionality uh yeah like I, I, people always will like pick one or two and then ignore all the others and i'm like no no accessible uh-huh. means accessible like if you only mean accessible yes. to these groups then say it yes absolutely um so as a as a little button for the very end um 
since we <laughs> since we just very rightfully so talked about a lot of things that are terrible. Um, I want to bring it back to you mentioning that seeing rain um, made you think, oh, I could do that and then ended up applying for modeling. So what is something that you would say to a fellow non-binary person who may want to perform in some way or model in some way, but hasn't tried it yet because they think it's not for them? I would say that you are not the only person that wants to do this. There's a whole community of trans and non-binary performers out there that are ready to welcome you and answer any questions that you have and help you get into whatever form of performance you want. Uh, I was really, there There are several different uh, Facebook groups for trans actors that they're not always helpful, but I was so thankful to find other trans performers and to get advice from them and to know what is and isn't safe and what uh, is exploitive and what isn't. Um, so I would say don't be afraid that you're going to be alone because there's a whole bunch of people there to help you. Um, and mm. something I've been reminding people is that like you don't know what people are looking for and they don't know they're looking for you until you show up. Um, mm. The director used to tell us about auditioning is that you should show up with confidence because they are trying to find the last puzzle piece but they don't know what the shape of the puzzle piece is yet they might have an idea of it but they don't really know what the piece is until you show up and you say here is the piece i brought you the piece Um, (laughs) and i think that was really important to me of just like you have you can make all these assumptions about what you want but that's at the end of the day that's why i do send all these commercial auditions is like i assume that I'm too queer but maybe they don't know until they see me and they're like no that is exactly what I want you don't know what people want until you show up and tell them that you're what they want um and yes. I would give that advice to everyone except for cis het white men no one you've gotten <laughs> enough you have all of it you're fine <laughs> wonderful so bear where do you prefer that people follow you slash find you on the internet uh you can find me on instagram i'm these days i mainly post to like resources in my story um but my Mm -hmm. regular instagram is bear b-e-a-r the princet p-r-i-n-c-e-t of darkness Mm -hmm. and then you can find my drag at bad news bear drag on instagram and then it should just be bad news bear on facebook all right, awesome. And I will hyperlink all of those things in the places where I can do Wonderful. so. Thank you so much for chatting. Yeah, with thank me you there. so much for having me. This was so much fun. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Fashion for All. Please be sure to check our show notes for information and links to our guests and their work. Be sure to subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. For more Smart Glamour goodness, you can head to smartglamour.com and follow us on Facebook at backslash smartglamour and Instagram at smart underscore glamour. Thanks.